word of worship. That's why we were created. And that's so hard. <laughs> Sometimes it's so hard to give him every praise. But it's all due him. And so we have to praise our way through our circumstances and our frustrations. And I'm saying this to y'all, but I'm not really talking to y'all right now. I'm talking to myself because I'm in the middle of a moment, real time, of having a hard time praising the Lord. But he is good. And his mercy is endure forever. And every praise is due him. No matter what's going on, even when my microphones aren't working. Every praise is due him.
worship you, Lord. Let all the other names fade away. Until, until there's only you. Let all the other names fade away. Jesus, take your place. Jesus, take your Let us pray. God, we lift your name high. Uh, May your name be held in honor across the world. Uh, You are the God of all. You are Lord of this church, of our hearts. You are the creator and you are our redeemer. Jesus, we lift your name high. We praise you in this sanctuary, beholding your power and glory. Thank you for all that you have done for us, for all the things that you will continue to do for us, that you are good. You never stop being good uh, in all our lives. In Christ's name, amen. Confession of faith is from the Heidelberg Catechism. I'll read the question and then you respond with the answer. What is true faith? True faith is not only a sure knowledge by which I hold as true all that God has revealed to us in Scripture. It is also a wholehearted trust which the Holy Spirit creates in me by the gospel that God has freely granted, not only to others, but to me also, forgiveness of sins, eternal righteousness and salvation. These are gifts of sheer grace granted solely by Christ's merit. It is now time for the reading of the word. Please stand if you are able. This is John 4, 7 through 30. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into the town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, You are a Jew, and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw with and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob who gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did also his sons and his livestock? Jesus answered, Everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. 
The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. And he told her, Go, call your husband and come back. I have no husband, she replied. Jesus said to her, You are right when you say you have no husband. The fact is, you've had five husbands, and the man you now have is not your husband. What he will have just said is quite true. Sir, the woman said, I can see that you are a prophet. Our ancestors worshipped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. Woman, Jesus replied, believe me, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in the Spirit and in truth. For they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit, and his worshipers must worship in the spirit and in truth. The woman said, I know that the Messiah, called Christ, is coming. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. Then Jesus declared, I, the one speaking to you, I am he. Just then, his disciples returned and were surprised to find him talking with a woman. But no one asked, what do you want, or why are you talking with her? Then, leaving her water jar, the woman went back to the town and said to the people, Come, see, a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? They came out of the town and made their way toward him. This is the word of the Lord. Today is Promotion Sunday. Uh, we're going to have kids in our First Step Nursery moving up to Village Kids. And we're also going to have some of our Village Kids moving up to, to youth. And so I'd like to call uh, Tiffany and Mary forward as we promote our kids up. All right. Y'all can clap. Come on. <laughs> I've had the privilege of having a high of eight to nine children in our first step program. A special thanks to Sarah Ludwig, who was there every week assisting in various ways. I would say her most important task was handing out the homemade instruments. By far, that was everyone's favorite part of class. We have a significant amount of children moving up from last year. As I was thinking of this group, whether I interacted with them on the playground, in small group, nursery, or SCC, they remind me of little employees at the University of First Step. All their different positions. For instance, Watts Anderson would be our communication specialist. He has a lot to say. August Armstrong, Dean of Students. He helps support the students. 
Benjamin Ludwig, professor, knowledgeable about various subjects. Amelia Nobles, she is one of the two of our board of directors, specializing in child care. Elizabeth Powell, the other board of directors, she specializes in baby dolls. <laughs> Micah Pierce, a counselor, he's a very good listener. Owen Swepson, he would be our librarian. He has a love for books. And last but not least, Amira Williams, public relations specialist. She would help our social aspect of the University of First Step. Each of them have been a blessing and a special part of the nursery. Last thing that I'm impressed with about this group is their love for the Bible story. They know their Bible. Well done, parents. This completes our First Steps children moving up to the Village Kids. Congratulations, graduates. They will each take home a My First Study Bible to keep them equipped in God's Word, along with their certificates. All of my First Steps graduates, please stop by the nursery to receive your gift after worship. Now we'll have Mary Limbaum, the director of the Village Kids. Thanks, everyone. Hi. I am not that cute. <laughs> Tiffany, thank you. That was so sweet. I love that. I do not. I'm sorry, y'all. I don't have... I got my gift bag, but I don't have anything that cute. Um, so, yeah, this is our second full year of Village Kids, and it still is very humbling that we've had all these kids coming through. Um, we've been through a lot as a church in the last few years, and all of these kids, I've watched them grow up, all y'all, um, since they were, I mean, we didn't call it first steps then, but in nursery, I mean, they were little, and now they're going to youth, and it's a big deal. So I'm going to make, if you're able and want to, I'm going to call them up by name and just have them stand at the front and give them their gift bag, um, because I think you guys just, just see the fruit of our church. Um, these covenant kids are just such a blessing to our body. So first, we're going to have Maria Neely. Yay, Maria. You can go sit back down if you want. It's up to you, Judah Neely. Hey, buddy. All right, I've got Jackson Powell. <laughs> All right, I got Gabe Sumlin. Make sure it's It is. Okay. And of course, Lily Smith. Hey, Lily. And like I said, all of these ladies and gents, they were just so much fun 
to have in the class. They participated really well. They are awesome. So I'm excited for you guys to go to youth. I know you're going to have a great time. I'm going to miss you, though. And it's been my pleasure to be your teacher. I'm very grateful for Mary and Tiffany and their leadership and, and also all the volunteers who serve in the nursery with our village kids. Uh, you're doing, we're doing so much to pour into our covenant kids. Thank you all so much. I'm going to say a, a, a prayer for everyone that's moving up. But first, we have two seniors that are graduating this year from high school, and we'd like to call them forward. Uh, Trey Williams and Jamie McClure, can y'all please come forward? Y'all can stand right here. I'm going to pray over y'all. Yeah, right here. <laughs> Well, here's a graduation gift from the youth ministry to you both, and I want to pray over y'all for your future, and I'm going to also pray over the, the everyone that's moving up, so let me pray over y'all. Father, I want to pray over these two young men who will be transitioned to a different stage of life as the, when they graduate here soon, and I don't know what the future holds for them, but I do want to pray, Lord, for their faith that you would draw them closer to you, that they will come to take ownership of their faith, that it cannot just be the faith of their parents or the faith of their family. It has to be their own individual faith, their own personal walk with Jesus. And so I pray whatever their future holds, wherever they're going to do, if they're going to go to college, military, wherever they're going to go, I pray that they would know that they are loved by a good and faithful God and that Jesus is Emmanuel to them. And I pray for all of our babies that are moving up to the village kids and to the youth, that you continue to call them to yourself and show them how wonderful you are. It's in Christ's name that I pray. Amen. She made a way to Jesus. She stumbled through the tears that made her blind. She felt such pain. Some spoke in anger. Heard folks whisper, there's no place here for her kind. She came through the shame that flushed her face until at last she knelt before his feet. And though she spoke no words, everything she said was heard. 
Bible, please open it to John chapter 4. John chapter 4. 
in her book, Braving the Wilderness, Renee Brown writes, we don't even bother being curious anymore because somewhere, someone on our side has a position. In a fitting-in culture at home, at work, or in our larger community, curiosity is seen as a, as a weakness, and, and asking questions equates to antagonism rather than being valued as learning. TBC Saints and guests, we're going to be curious people this morning as we revisit Jesus' encounter with the Samaritan woman at Jacob's well. Questions will be asked. Some will be answered. Others might not be answered. Are y'all ready to be curious together? Are y'all ready to revisit the man at the well? And your worship guide, the, the title is, it's a typo in the title. It should be man at the well revisited. So let us ask the Holy Spirit to bless the preaching of the word. Holy Spirit, as I pray each week, we are in desperate need of you, our counselor, to lead us into truth. You, you are the one who actually draws us into worship. You are the one who helps us understand the word and to apply the word to our life. We can't do anything apart from you. Preaching has no power apart from you. And so for the glory of our Savior and for our good, I pray that you would minister to us all. In Christ's name I pray. Amen. Many sermons have been preached on the woman at the well, and I preached one uh, last week. But some feedback that I received about that sermon has made me curious. I started asking myself some questions, like, does a Samaritan woman really come to Jacob's well in the heat of the day alone because she doesn't have healthy relationships with other women in the village? Is that the reason why? Or does she come alone because she's a social outcast? Again, we're being curious. We're asking questions. We're revisiting the well. Is the Samaritan woman walking to the well with her head down, carrying a lot of shame and guilt on her shoulders? Or is she a confident woman walking to the well with her head held high in strength and pride? Is she an immoral woman or a adulterous woman? Is she an abused and an abandoned woman? This is curiosity. This is asking questions. This, this is us revisiting the well. TBC Saints and Guests, we don't have all the answers to these questions, but some answers can be found in the text, and other answers can be found in the historical context. So here's what we know for certain from the text. The meeting at the well between Jesus and the woman of Samaritan is a divine appointment. That's what we know for certain. It's not accident. We know that Jesus comes to Samaritan. He stays behind at Jacob's well so he can meet her. That's why he stays back and the disciples go into the town. We know that for certain because it's in the text. We know her ethnicity. She's biracial. She's half Jew and half Gentile. She, and we also know she comes to the well alone to draw water. 
We know that she's familiar with the racial tension and the hatred between Jews and Samaritans. She even knows Jesus is Jewish from just looking at him. That alone makes me curious. What about you? We're asking questions. We're revisiting the man at the well. Next, we know she has a a thirst that's deeper than a physical thirst. We know that she knows her ancestral history. Jacob is her father. This is Jacob from the Old Testament. That's her forefather. And she knows the history behind the well. She knows that Jacob gave this well as a provision for her and her people. We know that she wants to live in water that Jesus offers. We even know that she's a worshiper, even though she worships what she doesn't know. And we know that she's familiar with the prophets. What did she tell Jesus? I perceive that you are a prophet. So she knows about prophets. And we know she's been waiting on the Messiah who will reveal all things. TBC Saints and Guests, does this sound like an immoral woman who's been outcast by her community? Does this sound like an immoral woman who's been outcast from her religious community? If the answer is an emphatic yes, then why would the townspeople believe her testimony about Jesus? Think about it. If, you, if, if someone you know you think is, is an outcast and they come telling you some stuff about a man you never met, are you going to believe them if you're looking down on them? If the people see her as a social outcast, why would they follow her back to the well and, be, and, and, and believe her testimony? Well, we're going to follow you and see who this man is. Again, we're being curious. We're asking questions. We're revisiting the well. We also know something else that's straight out of the text. Let's visit verses 16 through 18. If you have your Bible or Bible app, please turn there. John 4, beginning at verse 16. Jesus says to her, go call your husband and come here. She answers, I have no husband. He replies to her, you are right in saying I have no husband. For you have had five husbands, and the one you now have is not your husband. What you have said is true. Why has she had five husbands? Why did these marriages end? Was it because of infidelity? Was it because of abuse? Was it because of death? The honest and real answer, saints, is we don't know for certain. Now, we can infer, which I did a lot of last week, but the text doesn't give us the past details of her life. There can be a million reasons why she had five husbands. Are those reasons black and white, or are those reasons filled with shade of gray? Lutheran minister Nadia Webster says, There are a number of reasons why the Samaritan woman might have the past she has. Perhaps she was married off as a teen bride and then widowed and passed along among her dead husband's brothers as per the Levite marriage practices of the day. And that 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 was happening in the of the day. Maybe her various husbands abandoned her because she was infertile. Maybe she's a victim of abuse. Maybe she has a disability. The point is that we don't know for certain. But yet, if these five marriages did end in divorce, there's something we can know from certain because of her historical context. 
said, what is that, Pastor Alex? Well, women can't initiate divorce in the first century. Did you know that? That didn't cross my mind last week when I was preaching. She, in the first century, women do not have the legal right or the power to do so. The power and the right and the authority to initiate divorce in the first century lies with the men. The Jewish law makes provisions for husbands to divorce their wives, but not vice versa. This means the Samaritan woman can't initiate divorce. She doesn't have the right or the power to do so. And it means divorce would have happened to her whether or not she wanted it to. And these divorces would have had harsher consequences on her than on the previous five husbands. Listen, y'all. There would be no court-mandated child support if kids are in the picture. There would be no court-mandated alimony. There would be no government social services available. These divorces would have left her abandoned with no way to provide for herself. And the man that she now has is probably the only one who would take her in. So maybe she's doing what she has to do to survive, like many of us would do. TVC Saints and Guests, we might not know any of her history, but we can say it's a complicated history. Life has not been easy for her. She has some unmet need, some deeper thirst, some dissatisfaction, some brokenness, some grief, some pain, some fears, some wounds, some trauma. She experienced five marriages that ended for various reasons. And I believe that would do something to somebody. Just like it would do to us. It would do something to you. What's the testimony she shares with her fellow townspeople after leaving Jacob's well? What does she tell them? Look at verse 29. She says, Come see a man who told me all that I ever did. And look at verse 39. Many Samaritans from that town believed in Jesus because of the woman's testimony. And her testimony, he told me all that I ever did. That's her testimony. One sentence. Are you still curious? Are you still asking questions? Why is this her testimony? Why is it mentioned twice? And what's up with that? the use of the first-person pronoun? I didn't think about this last week because I wasn't asking questions. She says, all that I ever did. You know what, TVC Saints? I got a feeling we're not the only ones who don't know about her history. Maybe the townspeople don't know either. Maybe none of them know about her past. Maybe none of them know about the things that she once did and all the things that has happened to her. Maybe the things that Jesus told her, all the things that she ever did and has happened to her, are the secrets she's been keeping. Maybe she fears fully being known because she will be rejected, not because she's already rejected. Maybe... She has a wall up keeping people at a distance. Can't let them get too close. Maybe she's afraid that people would leave and abandon her if they knew the real her. She has brokenness in her life. 
brokenness from the things that has happened to her, things that has been done to her, and maybe she's trying to hide that brokenness because she doesn't have a safe place to be real and honest until she comes to the well. If you have a safe place. Or as Brene Brown would say, a brave place. To be real and honest. To be the real you. Where are Jesus' disciples during this conversation with Jesus and the Samaritan woman? Where are they? Do you know? See, they were in the town to get food. They're not there during the conversation. They arrived back at Jacob's well towards the end of the conversation. And all of them are surprised to see Jesus talking with a woman. See, again, I didn't think about that last week. I'm asking questions now. Neither of them verbally said anything, but, but they all said a lot by making eye contact. Or you can say a lot by making eye contact with people. And in their minds, they're like, what do you see? Like, they, they were marveled that he was talking with a woman. But no one said, what do you seek? What, what are you, that's, why are you talking with her? Are you curious? Are you still asking, asking questions? Why are the disciples internally asking themselves these questions? It's because they know something that many of us don't know. I didn't know it before the feedback I got last week. One of the individuals who gave me feedback sent me an article written by Carissa Quinn. She is the Bible Project Digital Learning Manager for the Bible Project. In this article, she writes, Where does one go to find a life partner? In our modern world, social events, dating apps, coffee shops, and bars are on top of the list. But the authors of the Hebrew Bible have a particular meet setting that indicates someone is about to get hitched. When the authors want to portray a man meeting his bride, the setting is often a well. Who knew that little nugget of truth? At least one person here did. You see, many of the Old Testament men met their wives at a well. Isaac, Rebecca, Jacob, and Rachel, Moses, and Sephora. All men at wells. Jesus and the Samaritan woman points us to these meetings, well meetings in the Bible where people find their spouses. That's why the disciples are asking those questions. What is Jesus seeking? Why is he talking with her? Hey, wait, is Jesus trying to pick her up? (laughs) Does Jesus want to make this woman his wife? Why would a Jewish man want to marry a Samaritan woman? I know. Give yourself a moment. Take it all in. As you do, turn to John chapter 3. I'm going to read verses 25 through 30. John chapter 3, verses 25 through 30. I'll give you a moment to turn there. And I want you to pay close attention to what John the Baptist says about Jesus. Now, a discussion arose between some of the, uh, John's disciples and the Jew over purification. And they came to John and said to him, Rabbi, he who was with you across the Jordan, to whom you bore witness, look, he is baptizing, 
and all are going to him. And John said, a person cannot receive him in one thing unless it is given to him from above. You yourselves bear witness that I said, I am not the Christ, but I have been sent before the Christ. This is the point. The one who has the bride is the bridegroom. The friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears him rejoices greatly at the bridegroom's voice. Therefore, the joy of mine is complete. He increases, but I must decrease. John calls Jesus the bridegroom. Are y'all curious? Are you asking questions? Are you ready to revisit the well? Jesus is at the well in John 4 as the bridegroom from John 3. The man at the well had to be revisited because it's not the man at the well, it is the husband at the well. And the woman from Samaritan is walking from her village to meet her husband at the well who's been sitting there waiting on her. Jesus is going to satisfy her with a, with a, satisfy her deeper thirst with a proposal that's spiritual. He's going to give her a marriage and a union that would never fail. He says to her, I'm going to be the husband you never had. I'm going to be the husband who would never divorce you, leave you, abandon you, leave you destitute. I'm going to be the husband who will never leave you widowed. I'm going to be the husband who heals you from everything you have done, heals you from everything that's been done to you. I'm going to be the husband who is a safe place for you to be real and honest. I'm going to be the husband who protects you and sustains you. I'm going to be the husband who rescues you. And I'm going to be the husband who is going to die on a cross for you so that you can have abundant and everlasting life. That's the kind of husband I'm going to be. TBC Saints, Jesus is saying, I'm going to be your seventh husband. Do you know what is symbolic by the number seven in the Bible? Number seven is a number of completion and fulfillment. Jesus says, in me, you no longer have to find love in all the wrong places. In me, you no longer have to fear being fully known. And in me, you no longer have to hide your past. And in me, you have the fullness and completeness you have longed for. And today, you have become my beloved. And what does she do after hearing those words? She drops that water jar. It's like she leaves her old self behind and she runs back into a village, a brand new beloved woman in Christ. And then she becomes an evangelist. And she invites everyone else to the well so they too can be joined to Jesus. Remember her testimony. This is from the Message Bible. She says, come see a man who knew all, all, who knew all about the things I did, who knows me inside out. That's the issue. She feared fully being known. But now she's fully known. By the man at the well. She's fully and completely known by Jesus. She's saying, he knows the real me. And accepts me. And loves me. And likes me. And marries me. Look at that table before you. It's the Lord's Supper, not the village church's Supper. This meal is a reminder that Jesus is the husband of his church. And we are his bride. 
This is a reminder that he accepts us, he likes us, he loves us, and he marries us. It's a reminder that he is the church's bridegroom. That's what this is a reminder of. It's a reminder that he has done what is necessary so that we can be made right with God. His life, his death, his resurrection, and it is finished. And guess what? You don't have to get on the cross to get it. It's done. And if you are a believer today, he invites you to partake of this meal. Friends and neighbors, if you do not profess faith in Christ, thank you for being here. And if you have questions about what it means to be a believer, please see me, one of our women shepherds, maybe one of our deacons, and we will share with you the good news of the gospel. Parents, we ask that the kids with you abstain from the elements until they have been invited to the table by the church that you are a member of. TBC kids, give Pastor Alex your attention. This meal symbolizes that Jesus loves you. It's a reminder that he died on the cross for your sins so that you can have a relationship with him. And so as your pastor, it's my prayer that each of all the covenant kids in our church will leave this church knowing Jesus their Lord and Savior. And until then, observe what we do. Again, if you have questions about this, please, your parents have my number. Please ask. I'll, I'll do my best to answer your question. Please let me know. Let us go now to the, for, the, uh, for the blessing of the elements. I'd like to call Davis and Benjamin forward so they can help with the elements. Lord God, Lord Jesus, thank you for being the bridegroom, one who would not abandon his beloved. And I thank you even right now, the word says you still make intercession for us. And I pray that through the power of the Holy Spirit that you would take these simple elements and give spiritual nourishment to your people. And I do pray for those who, who are here, who are observing, that, Lord, you will minister to them, Holy Spirit, that you will reveal to them, convict them, draw them in, show them their need for a Savior. Show them that they need more than just life and stuff. They need Jesus, not less of Jesus, more of him. So I pray, Holy Spirit, you will bless these elements in Christ's name. The Lord Jesus, on the night in which he was betrayed, he took bread, and having given thanks, he broke it. He gave it to his disciples and saying, take and eat. Do this in remembrance of me. We do have prepackaged elements, so if you prefer a prepackaged element, please let Benjamin and Davis know. You are my strength when I am weak. You are the treasure that I seek. You are my all in all. Seeking you as a precious jewel, or to give up my be a fool. You are my all in all. You are my strength when I am weak. You are the treasure that. 
Love the sons and daughters of a good king. This is Jesus' body broken for you. Eat of it, all of you. In the same manner, Jesus also took the cup. And having given thanks, he said to his disciples, This cup is the, this, this cup is the new covenant which is in my blood, which is shed for many for the remission of sins. Drink from it, all of you. Spirit, I pray again that you will use this supper, this meal, to give us the spiritual nourishment that we need as we head back out into the places where we do life to be salt and light. Help us to help our unbelief. Help us to remember who we are. We are beloved. And help us to know that each of us in Christ, we are enough. And I pray for all this in Christ's wonderful name. 
Will y'all please stand as we close our service.